0: You're listening to Sermoncast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumcorg sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of Sermoncast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. Question for you. One you've probably heard more than a few times in the last few weeks. What do you want? What do you want for Christmas? That's the chorus of the season, isn't it? Kids ask it. Grandparents ask kids what they want, and kids respond with their lists. And lots of adults have a lot of lists too, don't we? We've all got things we want. And advertisers are quick to make suggestions this time of year, aren't they? You may not know you want it until they show it to you in your social media feed. And then all of a sudden, you have to have it year in holiday sales depend, after all, on persuading us that the things we want are really things we need. And that brings up an interesting contrast, doesn't it? Because occasionally, even sometimes around the holidays, we will reflect on what we want in relation to what we need. Sometimes what we want and what we need are the same thing. Other times they're rather a bit different, aren't they? That dynamic isn't new. In fact, one of the major storylines, one of the major plot lines all the way through the Bible running back over 3,000 years has to do with the relationship, the dynamic between what the people of God want and what the people of God need. What do we want and what do we need? And over those millennia, Whether it's in the the days of Samuel, the days of Isaiah, or the 21st century. People of God have to wrestle with this tension between what we want and what we need. And as we read through these texts today and reflect on them together, we'll discover a reality that the Israelite people, the people of God, needed to embrace. And it's the same reality we need to embrace. What we want isn't always what we need now that begins to emerge in first samuel chapter 8 when israel demands a king samuel has brought order and leadership to the people of god he has established his sons as he's kind of ready for retirement so he passes on the family business to his children These are days before Israel had a king. The the people of God didn't always have kings to rule over them. Before that, they had judges. And we hear that that the the sons of Samuel are going to operate in that way. Now, it's important to remember when you're reading the Old Testament, you read about judges. These aren't kind of the guys in the courtroom with the robes, the black robes, who are banging gavels. It's not that kind of judge. And when we read the Old Testament, if we think judges like court judges or circuit courts or supreme courts, we're going to get the wrong idea. Judges in the Old Testament are more like heroes. They're more like people that God raises up and offers to his people and enables them to oftentimes deliver his people or provide uh, wisdom or leadership and and function as these figures of authority who kind of keep things in order. Sometimes they go really well and sometimes they go poorly. Sometimes they're awesome and sometimes they are lousy at what they're supposed to be doing. Samuel's sons are of the latter type, aren't they? We are told in 1 Samuel chapter 8 that after Samuel appointed his sons, Joel and Abijah, to be judges, they did not follow his ways and turned aside after gain. So they're kind of the corrupt, greedy politician types of guys, right? And so the people respond. They've got a grievance, and so they come to Samuel, and their, their their response to this corrupt system is, hey, Samuel, when we look around at our neighboring nations, (laughs) always be wary when you start by looking at your neighbors. When we look around at our neighbor nations, they all have kings. Everything seems to be going pretty fine for those guys. We want a king. Let's do what they're doing. And you don't get any thought here to, well, maybe God wants us to be different. Maybe the way our neighbors conduct themselves is not the way that the people of God should conduct themselves. But those aren't the kinds of questions the people of God are asking in this moment. Samuel gets those questions. He understands it, and he gets frustrated, right? He gets frustrated. So he goes to God and he says, brings this complaint. It's like they they don't want what I've offered them. And God says... It's not you they're rejecting. It's me. I was always supposed to be their king. I didn't give them a king because I'm their king. And ever since I brought them out of Egypt, they've rushed after other gods and other kings and other idols and other objects of worship. God's not surprised by this ask for a king, what they want. And in this moment, they've got what they want and they mistakenly think it's what they need. So God tells Samuel, go back to them and tell them what it's going to be like. Hear what they have to say and fill the picture in a little bit. Samuel fills the picture in a lot, doesn't he? He says, all right, God will give you a king, but here's what it's going to be like. And it's one of those kinds of things where... Where you say, be careful what you ask for, you just might, you just might get it. So here's what he says. <clears throat> you may have noticed the recurring language of he will take. Right? They're looking for somebody, <clears throat> excuse me, who will give them security and 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 rule with righteousness and rule with wisdom, right? They've had Samuel's sons rule with corruption, and so they want someone who's gonna come in and, and lead well. But Samuel says to them, what you want isn't what you're going to get. He's going to take from you your sons and draft them into his army to drive his chariots and to carry his spears. He's going to take your daughters. Still want this? (laughs) And put them in his kitchen and let them clean his castles, his palaces. He's going to take your money, because somebody's got to pay for the palace and and build the national treasury. He's going to take your crops. Somebody's got to feed this guy. It's going to be you. And so Samuel tries to help the people of God see that what they want isn't what they need. They have a king. Their king is God, and he provides for them in every way. Ever since they had bread fall from heaven, their king has cared for them. But it's not good enough. They want more. And they've confused what they want with what they need. They have what they need. So they get a king. And sometimes it goes well, and sometimes it goes badly. Their kings, after all, are human. And even the good kings sometimes sin grievously. When we get to Isaiah, the people of God are in a transition from a king named Uzziah, whose reign was marked by security and prosperity. He's the kind of king you want. Yeah, he may draft some of your sons, and he's going to tax you but in generally, you can handle the trade-off because things are going well. You're secure and you're prosperous and your national identity is strong and everybody's feeling pretty good. There's no scandals. There's no The threats are being dealt with, so everything's fine. But Uzziah, we're told in Isaiah 6, dies. And his son, Ahaz, takes the throne. And Ahaz... Is a bit of a different story. A little bit of context for that well-known Christmas prophecy that we hear in Isaiah 9. If you back up to Isaiah 7, you find that Ahaz <clears throat> is under a lot of pressure from the kings next door. Again, the nations around him are putting pressure on him. And they want him to be their ally to build some strength, and it's kind of chaotic. They've got the Assyrian Empire, which is the empire that wiped out the northern tribes not long after, and so he's kind of caught between, do I do I sort of make friends with the, the power player of the ancient world, or do I sort of form an alliance with people who could easily be wiped out by him, and he's kind of struggling with this. And Isaiah comes to him and says, listen, you've got to trust God in this moment. You've got to trust God. Let him give you wisdom. Let him care for you. And here's what we're told in Isaiah chapter 7. In the midst of this chaos, political chaos of the ancient world, Isaiah 7, verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, saying this. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. And I will not put the Lord to the test. So here's what Isaiah... Like, understand what's happening here. God says to the king through the prophet, God wants to take care of you. And it's kind of one of these, like, like make a list. <laughs> Ask for a sign, like whatever you want. It can be as deep, as wide, as surprising, as stunning, whatever. Like God wants to lavish his goodness on you. He wants to care for you. He wants to make you well and wise and proud. Like he wants to do this for you. And the king's response, did you catch what he said? He said, no. Like God is basically saying, ask for whatever you want. Name it. I'll give it to you to reassure you that I am your ally in the midst of all of these power players trying to make you their ally. I'm your ally. And the king says back to his God, I don't want to put you to the test. And the issue isn't him not wanting to test God. It's Ahaz saying, I don't want to relinquish control. I want want to be in charge. If I let God call the shots in who I ally with, I'm not in charge. And so there's this, this move, like, will he trust himself or will he trust God? And again, there's the tension. What does he want? What does he need? wants to be in control <laughs> he needs to trust God and in this instance what he wanted wasn't what he needed was it and so God says "Well, I'm going to give you a sign anyway and we get this two texts in Isaiah one is in chapter 7 the other is the one we read in chapter 9 and both of them are texts with a trajectory because they're pointing beyond themselves they're pointing to Jesus Here's what here here they are. Isaiah said, Here then. Is it too little, house of David, for you to weary mortals that you weary God also? Your, your stubbornness, your refusal to trust him is, is wearying to him. And so, so he's going to give you a sign anyway. And here's what it is: the young woman, the virgin, shall be with child and bear a son, and name him Emmanuel, God with us. And it's striking there that in that moment, even when the king says, I'm not going to listen to, I'm not going to let God meet my needs, I'm not going to listen, I'm not going to let him define for me what I need, I'm going to insist on what I want, God still says, I'm with you. I haven't given up on you. The lesson's going to be a lot harder to learn (laughs) and will involve things like exile, but I'm not walking away from you. And the very prophecy, like this, this declaration that one day a child will be born is the sign that God hasn't given up on us, whether it's 600-some years before the baby's born or 2,000 years after. And what will this child be like? A child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests on his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually, and there will be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. God says, I'm going to give you a king. Now, here's the interesting thing. Jesus isn't actually described as a king specifically in this text. He has authority and he has a kingdom and he's heir to the kingdom of David. But it's not, I'm going to give you a king. And I wonder if the reason for that is because the people of God for centuries now wanted a king but didn't know what kind of king they needed. And so when this king shows up, if we just call him a king like normal, they'll be looking for the wrong kind of person. Instead, look for a child born of a virgin. In David's town. And this king will be different than the king they asked for. And this king will be different than the king they got, kings like Ahaz. Because this king (laughs) won't take their sons and daughters. He'll redeem their sons and daughters. This king won't conscript them. He will offer himself for them. This king won't require them to feed him. He will make his own body bread for them. His body, his life will be the bread of God. It's no accident, brothers and sisters, that in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is laid in a manger. You know what a manger is, right? It's a feeding trough. Luke's the only one who connects the dots between the manger and the Last Supper. The one who would offer himself as bread from God for the life of the world was laid in a feeding trough. Pointing the way to the reality that this king, this king won't ask you to feed him. He's come to feed you. He's the good shepherd. Dennis Kinlaw once said, most shepherds keep sheep so they can eat and wear them. That's what you do with sheep, right? But the good shepherd and the good king keeps sheep so that we can eat and wear him. He's a different kind of king. He's not the king we wanted. But he is the king we need. Because he's the one king who can deal with our real problems, our deepest problems. Our alienation from God, the darkness in our hearts, our rebellion, our insistence to maintain control. He's the one king, the one king who can heal that. Forgive it. Redeem and reconcile us to His Father. He's the one King. And so I wonder this Christmas if there's not another question we need to ask in addition to the question we've already asked. Like, what do you want? Ask the question. Make the Christmas lists. Give gifts and celebrate. But let's put that question in the context of another question. What do you need this Christmas Day? What do we need this Christmas Day? What have the people of God always needed? The answer can be captured in one word. Emmanuel. God with simple, stunning, surprising, counterintuitive truth of this day is that God has come to be with us. And not only to be with us, but to reconcile us and heal us. To make us His. Not His servants, like the kings of old but his children, like Jesus. So let's ask, what do we want? But let's also ask, what do we need? You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hole United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumc.org/sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.